Okay, so our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter two. We're going um, verse 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Good morning, all of you, so good to see you. Well, when we watch Netflix uh, these days, uh, Molly and I, there's a really cool feature when we're going through a series where uh, we're really eager for like the next episode to come up, and so we turn it on, and they always have a recap, but there's a convenient feature on there that, that, I, that we can click that says just skip recap, and we go right to the next episode. Well, I'm going to give you a recap right now, and, uh, but I encourage you not to skip it because uh, it uh, sets the stage for this very powerful passage we're going to look at this morning. So do you remember, do you remember one episode ago, we've been in Ephesians chapter 2, especially uh, this section from 11 to 22, there have been a couple of sermons the past couple of weeks. But last week, do you remember the title of Joe's sermon? It was called, Walls and Other Things Christ Destroys. Walls and Other Things Christ Destroys. And he talked about there was a wall between Jews and Gentiles. That wall was the wall in Jerusalem at the temple, and that was a wall that was dividing them. And through the cross, we learned last week that that wall between Jews and Gentiles was destroyed. So it is as if, it is as if, as you're sitting in this room right now and try to see yourself in this picture, if there was a wall right down the middle of this room and we had all the Jews over here and all the Gentiles over here, what Paul is saying is because of Christ, the wall between you has been torn down, now mingle. These are people who hated one another. This is of all the, the um, walls and hatreds throughout the centuries, the, the one between the Jews and the Gentiles was among the greatest. So Paul says the wall is torn down, now mingle. In fact, he goes on to say that you are no longer two, but you are one person. You are no longer two, but you are one body. The two have become one, one being the theme of the book of Ephesians that we are following today. The walls come down, Jews, Gentiles now mingle. Now, Paul expands on that in Galatians 3.28, where he says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, and then he goes on to say there is neither slave nor free. He says the slaves over here, the free over here, the wall is, turned, is torn down, now mingle. And then he talks about male and female. He says there is no longer male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You're not going to have to worship separately from each other anymore. The wall is torn down, and now 
mingle. So that truth, that truth that the wall is torn down is so powerful in our time because we have walls today and the Bible teaches that through the gospel those walls are torn down. So think of our experience here at Lake Baldwin Church and how powerful this is for us. All the old people over here, all the boomers, all the young people, the millennials, the wall is torn down, now mingle. All the rich people, you go to James chapter two that says no partiality, all the rich people over here, all the poor people over here, the wall is torn down and now mingle. All the self-righteous people over here, all you sinners over here, the wall is torn down, now mingle. All of you Republicans over here, all of you Democrats over here, the wall is torn down, now mingle. All of you, whatever it might, all of you maskers over here and you anti-maskers over here, the wall is torn down, now mingle. Whatever your cultural, your ethnic background, the wall is torn down, now mingle. And then there's a really cool truth, but what happens next in the passage, and I want to set, set us up for this next, se next section that we just read. Kurt Thompson, who's a psychiatrist, a Christian psychiatrist up in Washington, D.C., had a powerful thing to say in regard to some of the divisions that exist in our culture today. He said this, in light of all the, the divisions, don't just get rid of the division, but create something beautiful together even though we disagree. So create something beautiful together even though we disagree. So what's going on in this passage, what we just read in verses 19 to 22 is Paul says that God is building us into a temple, except the catch is you and I are the stones of the temple. You see, in the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people, but in the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. So what God is saying to all of us here, he says the wall is torn down. You say, well, I can't get along with somebody that differs from me politically. I can't get along with somebody that's a different age who thinks differently from me. I can't get, get along with people in different cultures or even different personalities. Paul says the wall is torn down and now let us build something beautiful together. And that beautiful thing is this temple that is described in this passage. So what we're gonna look at in these verses is the blueprint for God's new temple. He's, Paul is saying, you Gentiles, now you are part of the commonwealth. You are part of the household of God, and you are part of this one temple, Jews and Gentiles together. So Paul goes to an, an architectural word picture or an architectural metaphor, and we're gonna see four things about this blueprint this morning. So here's your outline, these four things. The first thing is we're going to see, uh, we're going to see a firm foundation for the temple. Secondly, we are going to see a chief cornerstone for this temple. Third, we will see the living stones that are being built up. And finally, we will see the presence of God in the temple. So let's talk first of all about the foundation. Look back at Ephesians chapter two. It says, 
in verse 20 about this temple. Look at this blueprint. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So this new temple has a very firm foundation, the firm foundation of the apostles and prophets. Yesterday, um, we had the chance, some of us, to attend a uh, memorial service for Joseph Camacho. And we were there in support of Brittany and the children and their family, and also to honor, uh, honor God, but also honor the life of Joseph Camacho. And it was a very moving experience, but what I want to, I want to point out something here about uh, what it says about the stability of our foundation. While we were there, there was a reading from Romans chapter 8. And we read the scriptures together, and then as Joe talked about uh, another section of God's word, he talked about how we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. What we saw through those scriptures was comfort in, in a time of death and sorrow, something that only the scriptures can do to make sense of our grief. Now, why do I tell that story? It's because our foundation is firm. We have a firm foundation. So in that passage where it says the foundation of the apostles and prophets, what is that talking about? Well, there were uh, apostles in the New Testament, apostles like Paul. There were prophets during the New Testament times. And what happened in those days, their teachings were eventually recorded in Scripture in the New Testament letters. So the letter that we're reading today, the book of Ephesians, was written in 62 AD. Over time, during the first century, these letters began to circulate and these were the teachings of the apostles and the prophets. And so what you have in your hands, in your bulletin, on your phone, in your Bible, is you have the New Testament, the teachings of the apostles and prophets, and that is our firm foundation. Why is that important for us today? Why do we need a firm foundation for our temple? Well. We are going through right now a cultural earthquake, an, an earthquake politically, an earthquake economically, an earthquake medically. A lot of lives have been shaken medically, economically, politically, in their families. A lot of lives have been shaking, but they have a stable foundation, a firm foundation in the Word of God. The Bible has stood the test of 20 centuries, and the Bible will stand the test today of what is happening. So that is the found, if you picture a temple up here and you have all these foundation stones, the foundation of the church, the foundation of the temple of God is the word of God. Uh, we have a good friend in our neighborhood. He, um, he doesn't attend our church except he sometimes attends online. He, he might even be watching today. I don't think he would mind my sharing this with you, but he told me a couple of years ago, he says, whenever I get a chance to visit Lake Baldwin Church, I know that I'm going I'm to hear the Bible. I'm going to hear the Bible taught. I'm going to understand the Bible better. That is what we want for everybody in, that church, uh, in this church. That is what we want our church to be founded upon is the firm foundation of the Scripture. So that's in the architecture of the temple, that's what we have here, that foundation for our lives. Now, let's go on to the second part of the temple, because in that same verse, it goes on to say, Christ Jesus himself 
the cornerstone of that temple. So if you picture this foundation up here, all these firm stones, way over here might be the, the, this huge cornerstone. And Paul says in the architecture, the blueprint of the temple, Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. I wanted to better understand this idea of cornerstone. I mean, you've, you've heard about this in the Bible, haven't you? You've heard that Christ is the cornerstone. In the Old Testament, cornerstone referred to the Messiah who was to come. But I wanted to learn more about how cornerstones work in buildings. So I tried to think, okay, who in our church knows something about building things? So I called T.J. Sellers, one of our elders. Hello, T.J. and Anna, I know you're watching from the road. I called T.J. and I said, T.J., would you explain to me the importance of a cornerstone in the temple? He says, well, what the cornerstone does, first of all, what you want to remember is the cornerstone is the first stone that is laid. So you had Christ the cornerstone, then the foundation of the apostles and prophets expressed in the scriptures. So it is the, it is the, the first stone that was laid. So the way we would think about that is that Christ Jesus as the cornerstone, it is his teaching, it is his Life, it is his death, it is his resurrection upon which the entire temple is based. He is the cornerstone. And then TJ said something to me very interesting after that. He says, once the cornerstone is laid, it sets the, tra the trajectory for the entire rest of the building. So as you continue to build, it is all built based upon the trajectory set by that cornerstone. Finally, there's a third thing that you can see. Our, our church, we, we talk about being a Christ-centered church, a gospel-centered church. It's based upon Christ being the cornerstone. Then the third thing, it goes on in this passage, it says that in Christ, you are be being built up. In Christ, you are being fitted together. So we not only have, the, the cornerstone is not only first, he not only sets the, tra the trajectory but as you and I, as all of us in this room are connected to Christ, then we become more and more like him. So that is the goal of the Christian life, to have Christ shape our lives individually and shape his temple. There's a great illustration of that that we'll get to like after the first of the year in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, the temple, he says, be imitators of God, be imitators of God. And then he says, walk in love as Christ loved you. He goes on in Ephesians 5, he says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You see how the cornerstone shapes the trajectory, the trajectory of our lives and forms us over time. So that's what's going on. You've got the foundation, and I would ask you this question, is it your plan to base your life on the, on the Word of God, on the Scriptures, on the book of Ephesians, which we have in other books. Is it your plan to base your life on that? And then secondly, with Christ as a cornerstone, is it your plan to remain connected to Christ in your life? This Advent season, do you plan to remain connected to Christ in all of your division politically and masks and COVID worries, is it your plan to remain connected to Christ because that's what's gonna forge us into a temple? Now the third part of the, of the architecture of the temple. You got the cornerstone over here, chief cornerstone. You got the foundation, 
the apostles and prophets. And then this is where you and I come in. In fact, what Paul wants us to do is he wants all of us to see ourselves in this blueprint because he goes on in uh, verse 21. It says, in whom, that is in Christ, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And then in verse 22 it says, in him you also are being built together. Now what's going on here? Well, first of all, he's talking about how the temple grows. When somebody comes to faith in Christ, when they are baptized, when they are incorporated into the church, they become one of the living stones along with the rest of us as part of the temple. Again, doesn't matter their ethnic background, doesn't matter all the failures of their past, it doesn't matter whether they're rich or they're poor, they get to be a living stone equal with everyone in the church. But number two, it says that those stones are being fitted together. Now what do you have to do to make stones work together? Well, you, you bring them in and you have to chisel away at those stones to make them fit together. Now what does that feel like if a stone is being chiseled? What's happening there is there is friction. There is friction there between the stones, but, as, as, but God is using that friction to chisel things away. So let me ask you this question. Do you feel any relational friction in your life? Where you experience friction, God is chiseling. Where you experience friction in your life, remember this, God is chiseling, God is using your connection to other stones to bring about your sanctification, your spiritual growth, to shape you into the image of Christ, to fit us together. So there is a growth process as part of this temple that God calls us to be a part of. Two weeks ago, we had a membership class. We hadn't had a, a membership class all of COVID. We had 30 people in that class. We met people there that only came to this church online. And it was, it was an amazing uh, group of people in this class. We wore masks, we spread out, had a great location, but we had a wonderful time. And so, when you, but what, what is God doing through that? God is adding stones to bring about the growth of his temple. But remember, where there's friction, God is chiseling. And I know that some of you right now are going through incredible pain in your life due to a key relationship in your life. And I wanna challenge you this morning to view that experience redemptively redemptively to know that God is using that to chisel away. Where there is friction, God is chiseling. One last thing about this temple. What's the purpose of this temple? Well, we see that in verse 22. In him you also are being built, built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit, a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Now you might be thinking, well Mike, I thought God was omnipresent. I thought God was everywhere. Well, it's talking here about our experience of the presence of God. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God so that he may draw near to you. 
So what happens in the gathered temple in a worship service like this, God gathers us together so that we might experience his presence, so that we might worship him. I love the image in the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle in the wilderness, in the temple of Solomon, God would come and he would fill up that temple with his glory and it would just be an amazing experience. He would fill the temple with his presence. So I want to talk about that just for a moment because that is why we're here. Richard Pratt used to say, he used to say, now what's the best way to approach church? Is it, you know, would it be the, uh, the Jimmy Fallon model where it's just all entertainment? Would it be the academy model where it's all a school? But he'd say, no, the Bible teaches a temple model where we gather in a countercultural way to experience the presence of God. How does that happen? Well, almost every Sunday, as Molly and I prepare to gather with you for church, we pray together. And I want to give you a little bit of window of a window into what we pray for. Molly prays that God would use the worship service to disciple his people. What she means by that is she is praying that all of us would be changed by the teaching of the apostles and prophets in the word of God, God to disciple his people. Then quite often I will say a prayer. I'll say, God, would you come by your Holy Spirit and would you fill your temple with your glory? Now you're thinking, Mike, we're not even at Glen Ridge. We're here, we're here at the Geneva School. That doesn't matter. The temple is made up of you all, the living stones. And so my prayer is, just as what he did at the tabernacle and in the temple, that in today's temple, this new multi-ethnic growing temple, the prayer is that he would fill it with his glory. So then how do you experience that? How do you experience his glory? I want to close with just a few practical thoughts on how that works, how we experience his glory here in the temple. I want you to think about in your mind's eye and see yourself in this picture. And let's walk through a worship service. When we gathered this morning, Mark McKinney got up here and he read a passage of scripture. To us. That is called the call to worship. Here's what I think about in my mind when I hear the call to worship. I think the king, the king is calling us into his presence. He is holding court. He is here at the temple. He is calling us into his presence. And it's good to remember that. We're not, because we're not the academy or school model, the most important worship of the service, part of the worship service is not always the sermon. You might think, well, boy, it's, it's, it's a wor I've had worship if I've come and I've, I've observed a sermon. But no, it starts back at the call to worship. The king is calling us into his presence. And then Mark begins to lead us in some songs. And here's what I want you to think about. The Bible teaches that when we rise and sing, and I love, I love this, uh, this gym because of the echo and we can hear each other sing. The Bible teaches that when we sing, we are joining the chorus of the angels who are worshiping God in heaven. It literally talks about that in Hebrews. So imagine you, part of that choir, singing with those angels. And as Mark is up there and we're worshiping God, I don't care whether it's a cool song or an uncool song, I don't care whether it's a fast song or a slow song, I don't care what it is, but picture yourself 
Picture this, that God himself is showing his glory as we stand and worship him. We're experiencing his presence as we're praying to him. Then we have the confession and assurance. What happens there? The Holy Spirit is there. The presence of God is there. And God is shining a light onto our hearts. As he did to my heart this morning. Thank you, Mark. As God did to my heart this morning as he read that passage of scripture. And I thought of my own sins. I felt the Spirit of God shining the light of his holiness onto my dark heart. And then I heard the gospel. Then I heard the good news of forgiveness through the cross, and in my heart, I experienced the, the presence of God. I experienced renewal. And that is part of what, that's part of experiencing the presence of God. And then we have the reading of Scripture and the preaching of the Word of God. Again, on a good day, if Joe and I are doing our job right, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. How does the Holy Spirit show up then? Well, it's the same message, the same good news, the same gospel, but have you noticed that the Holy Spirit just applies it to something that's going on in your life. And so you walk away with a little bit of a takeaway. You walk away hearing the voice of God through his word, applying that to your life. And then we all go with a benediction. The benediction isn't just like the announcement at the end of the service. It is a mystical moment whereby God, by his Holy Spirit, promises to go with us out into the world. So this place, you guys, I don't care whether there's, you know, 5,000 people here or 150 people here, whatever's going on, when we gather, that is the temple of God, and that's a beautiful thing. So will you be a part of the temple of God? Will you think about that as you prepare for worship, as you come, as you teach your children? Will you be part of the temple of God? Now keep in mind what I said at the beginning, God is saying, you folks over here and you folks over here, I want you to mingle. So look for the beauty of diversity to grow in Lake Baldwin Church. When I was uh, wrapping up my high school years, uh, we had had, I'll close with this story. We had, I lived in Alexandria, Virginia, and I graduated in 1971 from high school. And Back in those days, America had experienced one of those moments of racial reckoning. What was going on was there was uh, civil rights legislation in the 1960s spilling over into the 70s, and what that meant for Alexandria, where I lived, is that schools were to be desegregated. It is, it is, it is as if our government said that wall hasn't been right, that wall has been wrong. We are tearing down that wall, now mingle. I went to Hammond High School, which was a predominantly white school. There were three public schools in Alexandria. Another one was George Washington, which was a predominantly black school. And then there was T.C. Williams, which was kind of half and half. And they, they, they mandated that these three schools combine their junior and senior class into one high school, T.C. Williams. The name of their football team was the T.C. Williams Titans, and that story is the story upon which the movie Remember the Titans was based. And if you think back to that movie, or if you haven't watched it, you really got to go watch it because there's a very cool soundtrack in the movie. 
there is, um, there is not only the declaration of the wall coming down, but that movie is filled with chiseling. It is filled with friction, filled, and that's part of the dynamic of that movie, the friction and the chiseling of people learning to work together. And in the end, through the coaches and through all that went on, there was this, this beautiful moment when they won the state championship. But the story is really, really powerful because the wall had come down, now mingle between the schools. Well, in a much greater way. If you, wanna, if you wanna ask the question, what is God doing in Orlando, in America, at Lake Baldwin Church in 2020 as we wrap up this year, is I believe that he is at work building his temple. Would you pray with me? Lord, it's amazing. It's amazing that all of us in this room not because we chose you, but because you chose us by your grace, get to be a part of this temple. We pray for Lake Baldwin Church, we pray for this temple that we would grow in mingling, we would grow in our diversity, that we would grow in our practice and our experience of your presence as we gather to worship in this temple. And we pray these prayers together in Jesus' name, amen.